Welcome to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and on the line with me here is Scott. And we are horror film fans and film critics for theblackesteyes.com. And we're excited to say that theblackesteyes.com is actually a website again. <laughs> it disappeared for a while. Uh, Scott, it kind of went into the, the horror, you know, bye-bye zone. Um, but it's back. And so we thought, hey, since it returned, maybe we should actually do some content. So I'm glad you're with me here tonight. Yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. And since the fall is approaching, it seems good to to start thinking about Halloween again. I think it does. It, you know, it's always good to think about Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> There's never a bad time. We're going to talk about a movie tonight and discuss it. And we haven't prepped for this at all, so we're just going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants here. But we'll see what happens. So we're going to do a creature feature segment. Okay, Scott, the movie we're talking about tonight is the movie Jug Face, which is a 2013 American horror film directed by a guy named Chad Crawford Kinkle. And I don't know anything about this dude. Do you? No, I just think that I had read earlier today that he uh, this was something he wrote and, direct and directed, and this was his debut. Well, it's interesting that 13 two years ago. I don't know if he's if he has any things in the works or not. Have you looked at IMDb or anything to no, see? No, no, I haven't. But I thought he did good with this, so we'll it's, see what happens with him. You know, I but, I hope that uh, I hope that he doesn't get kind of sucked up into the Hollywood machine because this was obviously something that was made on a low budget, and uh, he he did it well. Uh, he 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 managed to bring out some frights and he kept tension. And it was story oriented. He had good actors, um, and there were some scenes in particular that, even though he doesn't show a lot, he you know he suggests a lot. And yeah. and I and I thought that I thought it was very effective as a film. And I hope that he doesn't just kind of get sucked into the machine and and get you know if he gets a lot of money, just sort of ruins him. If you can see if you could provide like a minute synopsis of the film for those people who haven't seen it because i think you can still follow our conversation if you just know the premise of the movie so can you do that yeah do you want me to do you want, you don't want me to spoil that do you want me to kind of, oh yeah should we do that or not should um, we just should we announce spoiler alert and then well why don't we start out just kind of talking about it without giving much away and then maybe in the later part of the episode we can say okay now we're gonna Here's what happened. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, it, uh, it's just sort of a, a non-spoiled premise. Is that it's it's a hillbilly, <laughs> if I may use the word. It, it, it's it's a rural horror film, and these are very poor people. You know, I I was looking at the review posted on RogerEbert.com, and and the person that was writing that review for Jugface said that it's it makes the uh, the hillbillies in Deliverance look like you know Park Avenue or something, and I don't oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's quite. But these no. are these are some backwards backwoods and backwards people who have kind of a cultic religion based around a pit that's in the middle of the woods, and and some kind of a spirit or a creature that that inhabits this pit that they appease, and and there's there's a lot. Maybe I've given away too much already, but. Um, it has this interesting premise where one of the members of this community 
has kind of a second vision or some kind of a of a special site, and he 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 crafts these jugs, you know, kind of like moonshine jugs or something, you know, and and he makes them in in, in the shape of a person's face. That's why it's called jug face, and it's some and the face is always going to be the face of someone in the community, and that's very significant, you know, and. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go ahead and say this much that the person whose face he makes has to be sacrificed to the pit. And that's how this community continues and it's how they uh you know they they receive benefits from this from this god of the pit or this spirit that lives there and such as healing and and it sort of binds their community but it's got some really interesting characters uh you know it's got it's i think i think sean young whom you don't see very much anymore i thought she was great uh, mm-hmm. you know from from uh uh blade runner yeah. and uh and other things but um you know I, one of my favorite scenes in this film is not a horror scene one of my favorite scenes is when they're having the the music you know, where they're around the campfire. Absolutely. Isn't that, isn't that that's so Absolutely. authentic? But it's not patronizing, you know, it, it, it's, it's authentic. It's real, but, you know, it's just got this, it's got like a jug band and someone's playing the spoons and, and they're dancing. But it, I thought that was pretty fantastic. It made me, you know, that made it seem like a real community to me. Well, yeah, there's a couple of things that I that I want to highlight, and then I want to talk from a biblical worldview in just a minute with you. But here are a few things that I found to be really interesting about the film. I just want to bounce these off of you first. Is yeah, when you say backwoods community, that that is putting it mildly. I mean, when you're watching it, okay, you've seen the village throughout that movie. You don't know that these people are living in modern times until the very end, and then. When you get to the end, and you you know that's supposed to be part of the, the the real shock of the film. Well, what this movie does is you you feel kind of like it's still in this super duper isolated. There's nothing around it. There's it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in a different time, a different kind of kind of place, a different way to live. But then, just scattered throughout the movie right in the middle of their community, you'll see like a pickup truck or, you know, something that's that's very modern. And then they just go right into town and start talking to people. Did, didn't you find that to be almost a shock the first time you watched the movie, that it, that they're actually that close to real civilization? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't let on. I mean, you, you start out thinking – I mean, the, the clothing maybe give you a, cue, a clue that it's not sort of distant time period, but um, – I, I thought it was going to be this just this self-contained universe, but yeah, it is surprising when they end up going to the shops, you know, or you know, like they say in the village, they go to the they go to the shops in town, and and uh, you see that it's it's set in the present day. But this is a very uh, tight knit, a very coherent community. It's this isn't your typical sort of uh, rural, you know, uh, community. This is a very they're 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 built around this religion. Right, and it's not a very large community. It doesn't seem like it. And arranged marriage, um, you know. There's some very interesting customs in, in, in there, and uh, um, and and it just takes this this religion based on the the pit, the monster, the jugs. Um, it it just it takes it for granted. You, you you get a it doesn't explain it. You get a little bit of an explanation at one point as to its origin, you know, and why they are the way they are. But uh, not, you know, it just kind of presents it, and that's what I thought was kind of cool. 
Well, you know, the, really the the biggest explanation you get is in an animated opening credits. Right. Uh, you know, that's really there, – there's a priest, and then it looks like they have some kind of, you know, skin disease. You don't know exactly what it is. Then they go to the pit, and you know, this animated thing, it heals them, but then you see someone being sacrificed and so on and so forth. We'll talk about the sacrifice in, in just a minute. The other thing, though – just that comes immediately to mind is, of course, when you think about this community and you think about the way they look and the dress and the talk and even the the cult that kind of binds them together. Perhaps it's not surprising, uh, in some ways, that the lead character, what was her name? Ada. A- Ada, yeah, Ada, is in a sexual relationship. With her brother, you're like, oh man, you know, this is just such classic backwoods ancestral kind of deal. Right. But so here's my question to you, because I don't know if this is the same for you. Why wasn't I more grossed out by that than I than I should have been? (laughs) I mean, that that should have really grossed me out, but for some reason, you know, it didn't quite as much. Any any thoughts on that? I mean, were you just totally disturbed by it, or did it seem there was something a little more special there than just a disgusting ancestral kind of relationship. Well, I don't know. maybe it's just me. No, I mean it's disturbing. I don't think you're saying that it's not. It wasn't disturbing. Oh no, no. Like but, we should all, you know, we should rethink incest. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that way. But she, I, I, I credit the actress. Um, I think she. I don't know who she. I don't remember the actress's name. I'd have to look it up real quick. Um, but I thought that she just was such a, a real character and she was so relatable. Um, she seemed normal. And I think that, I think that that came across real well. And, and maybe that's why when, you know, you start to learn about these, you know, to say the least imperfections in her life, uh, that it doesn't just seem like, it doesn't seem like a caricature or, a um, a comic book sort of approach because she just uh, to me, that's how I would explain it I think she, I think the actress just did a phenomenal job of humanizing that character and making her r- relatable even though it's a totally bizarre setup in a scenario I think there's also uh, I agree with that I think there's also a, a, di- a dimension here where once you see once the camera pulls back and you see the limits that she has on her life what are the what are the options for her yeah and 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 the, and the option really was this whatever his name was, that she had been, they're going to join. It was yeah. a prearranged marriage. You know, you can tell this is not this is not a good situation at all. And it just so happens they cast her brother, you know, he was a good-looking guy and seemed to be one of the few people who somewhat had, some, you know, his act together or whatever. He actually looked a little bit like Tim Tebow, I thought. But anyway, um so I, I and at some point in the movie after you know here's a little bit of a spoiler but after he dies I think his name was Jessaby after he dies she actually says to her parents because they're obviously disgusted she actually says that she loved him you know that she was in love with with the brother so it seemed like it was more to her than just you know just a sexual relationship well and this is a very like you said a very small community they are kind of inbred and you know it while you know even the even within that community they considered incest to be aberrant right. um it, it's still yeah yeah i i mean her like you said her options were kind of limited she was being hooked up in this arranged marriage with this guy that kind of looked like a doofus and yeah. uh you know i and and she wasn't very excited about that and her brother was 
um, yeah, he was kind of her confidant. I mean, wasn't there even a scene where um, they shared a bedroom? And not that they yes. shared a bed in their house in front of their parents, but they, they so they were kind of, they're poor. They didn't have a lot of space. They didn't have separate bedrooms. So it's almost like you can hardly expect anything else. You know, who else is she? And she's smart. You know, she she's not a dimwit. And, um, and I find her very uh, appealing as a character because of her, uh, you know, late in other parts of the, of the movie, they show her relating to her grandfather. Right. And she's just very tender and he's kind of uh, out of his mind and living a, in, in a little trailer out in the woods and, and can't take care of himself. And she's out there taking care of him and is, you know, helping him on the toilet and all that kind of stuff. And that takes a very mature person to do that and, and – She's a young girl, and yet uh, is able to do that with such with such tenderness and care. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know what other explanation there is for the relationship. It just starts out that way. You just it it's does. the very first scene of the movie is her with her right. brother. Right. Yeah, and you know, and it seems like no one else is really paying any attention to the grandfather, yeah. because at one point she's, you know, she's going to try to make a run for it, and she says, "Hey, it might be a few days <laughs> yeah. before any like." So no one else is checking on this guy apparently, except except for her. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think she's very very sympathetic, which brings us then to the whole point of the film, which is she finds the next jug face, and it's her. Yeah. So she's dealt with it. She's got a real, she has a real dilemma. Now, at some, at one point, we see a sacrifice happen because what she ends up doing is hiding that jug face because she doesn't want to die. And then there's another layer here because she's pregnant and she doesn't want her baby to die. She's actually pregnant by her brother. The more we talk, you realize just the more complicated this movie really is. Uh, there's just all kinds of different layers involved here. She doesn't want to die. She doesn't want her baby to die. It's the baby of an ancestral relationship, which creates a whole other problem. So she hides the jug face, which we come to find out happened once before in this community with not good results <laughs> right. because that really ticks the pit off apparently because he wants who he wants yeah and her, her her dad at one point says you know it's an honor and this is something that i wanted to ask you about he says you know it's an honor a privilege to be chosen by the pit and you think what kind of honor is it to get your net you know, cut and blood pouring out out of you into this pit, and you die. But the way he was taking it, it is an honor because you get to your sacrifice provides for the life of all these other people. So you should see it as an honor. Well, she didn't really see it as an honor apparently, because she hid the jug. Now, when she did that, Scott, did you did you view that as? cowardice as selfish as not thinking about the community should she have been willing to lay her life on the line like apparently lots of people had before she knew i'm assuming the history uh, or did she i don't know if she well i don't know i don't know if she knew that it happened once before or not until later in the film but nevertheless she knew this was not going to make the pit happy so when she does this did that change your perception of ada or were you thinking, heck yeah, that's what I'd do too? Well, uh, for me, it just showed the complexity of this movie. You know, it, it's a simple movie in some ways because it's low budget and it's not big on, you know, razzmatazz. But man, you know, in terms of story, it's 
it's got a lot of texture to it. And so I thought that it just showed her as a real character, a real human being who would want, who would willingly, I mean, if you, if it gets announced, you know, in some kind of a Shirley Jackson, the lottery kind of a thing where, you Mm -hmm. know, it gets announced that you're the person, well, you don't have it. You can't really run away, but she found out secretly in advance. She wasn't supposed to know this in advance. She, she just sort of stumbled onto this. And it was at the same, almost the same time that she discovered she was pregnant. And so she, I, I think she was behaving as a as a mother would behave, and she, because she, I, I didn't get the sense. Maybe you'll disagree, but I didn't get the sense that she was primarily motivated by self preservation, but by the preservation of her child's life. I, I, that is the sense I got because we find out later in the film, when the child is taken out of the equation, everything changes. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. And she, uh, she's willing to save, especially. What was the guy's name? The Potter. Dwy. Uh, Dwy. Yeah. His, which he was a great character. Yeah, I love that. By Sean Bridgers. Yeah. I love that guy. What else have I seen him in? He's in Deadwood. Oh, HBO. yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly the way, you know, when she did it, I was really thinking, who wouldn't do this? You know, right. I mean, this this is just a natural preservation of life here, especially when... You know that you're saving two lives. Let's think about this from the from a biblical worldview. When you match up Jug Face and what we see in this movie, we have a pit. We have some kind of entity. You can call it a mini-god, I guess, that has healing powers, but that also wants a sacrifice in order to dish out good. You have human beings who should be honored to be a part of that sacrifice for the greater good of commu- the community. When you think about all of these things and bring them together, is there is there anything gospel-oriented that just immediately comes to mind for you as to how, from a Christian worldview, we should interpret the film? I mean, does anything pop into mind? Um, oh, you know, I mean, on one level, yeah, on a couple levels. Uh, the first level is the, the willingness to sacrifice, and not just on the part of Ada, but do I? You know, he's willing to give his life to save her, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or, or she tries to save him. I mean, they're trying. So one thing I don't think we've mentioned is that when when she hid the jug and the community didn't sacrifice her as the beast or the pit required, it started to indiscriminately take people, other people. Right. And and no one in, in the community couldn't figure out why they didn't know. You know, this had never happened before. They, they or maybe it had happened, but they couldn't figure out why. Uh, the beast was sort of killing killing members of their community, apparently indiscriminately. So they her, knew something was wrong. But they they knew something it. was wrong, but they didn't know that. And so they start to blame Dwai, who's the guy who's supposed to uh, discern who the next sacrifice is. They they think that he lost the jug, or and he couldn't quite remember if he made the. He thought he made a jug, and he couldn't, you know, but he didn't know she'd hit it. And he's kind of a simple-minded guy, a little bit simple-minded. So there's there's all these people trying to give their lives or protect their you know protect other people by by making the ultimate sacrifice. There is an element of that. You know what I thought? One thing I thought of, Phil. Did you ever see the Mel Gibson directed film Apocalypto? No, I never did. Never Have you heard it. of it? Yes. Apocalypto was a movie. I think it's made about the Mayans or the Aztecs, one of the Mesoamerican tribes. And um, 
it's actually quite good. I mean, the whole movie is in some sort of tribal Indian language and it has subtitles. And it's, it's, if you can find it, it's hard to get, locate, but if you can find it, it's really a terrific film. Well, there's, there's human sacrifice in this movie, and, and it's very violent, as a Mel Gibson movie you might expect. There's one scene that made me think uh, that, that I'm going to make this connection here in a sec. There's one scene where uh, one of the members of this Mesoamerican Aztec or Mayan community is at the top of the temple. It's got the ziggurat, and they're at the top of the steps. And this one character wants to approach the priest, okay? And the priest stops him. You can't come up next to the altar. And what this character does, I think, is interesting. He takes a knife, he cuts his hand, and he drips blood on the ground. So there's, And then he can enter into the presence of the god or of the community or of the priest right. in the altar. There's something about – there's something in us, I think, something, uh, you know – uh, primordial in us that says that there that there is a blood that there is need for blood to live you know that, that sometimes that blood must be shed for life and you know of course as Christians both you and I we believe that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross is the source of our everlasting life and so you know there's something about the need for a sacrifice in this movie that that sort of resembles to me a biblical perspective what i mean what am i totally crazy no i i think that's definitely what i'm talking about especially the sacrifice element when i what i was intrigued by was the pit itself because the pit has the ability to take life and to heal and essentially preserve life uh, something that only god is able to do yeah. and so it take it inverts the biblical narrative in a, in a sense in that instead of this loving, gracious God that seeks to save humanity through the shedding of his own son, we have a pit who perhaps is willing to heal a community, but not at his expense. Right. It's at the expense of the community. And there's where the biblical narrative and jug face go in different directions, which just highlights the power and the freakish nature of the biblical story, which is this God who is so good is willing to give us so much, and he gives us so much at his own expense, which is contrary to everything that makes sense to us as human beings. That's why the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, who, who would do such a thing. It doesn't make any sense. So that, that, the, that the pit is able to give life and is able to preserve life and do all these healings but it does so at the expense of a person in the community, um, I think is something that is an interesting picture of the gospel, but turned upside down. And that's yeah. that's not what we see in, in the biblical in the biblical account. So it's it's kind of the anti-God in that sense. Sure, I'll help you out, but first uh, it's got to be at your expense. Well, God says it's at my son's expense uh, that you will be. Helped out, which is just it's just a reminder of the amazing nature of the gospel, is it not? That God kills His own in order to save us. Yeah, He gives Himself. He gives Himself in, in order to He gives His life in order to in order to give us life. Yeah, you know, I'm reading. I'm just now rereading C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And one of the things I love about this book is how he just is able, in my opinion, is he able to take some complex Christian ideas and 
just translate them for for the common man or the common person who maybe doesn't think about theology every day. And you know, there are echoes even in pagan religions. You know, there are echoes of truth. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're, 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 they don't have the whole truth. They don't. You know, there's crucial ingredients that are missing. But even in even in there's some sort of natural knowledge that that we by our sins are not worthy to come to God, and that there must be something. What we don't know, what we need to have revealed to us, is that that has been supplied in in the person of Jesus. Right. But um, you know, but even natural knowledge has some awareness that we that there must be blood atonement made. Um, yes. and, 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 you know, oftentimes we mistake how that is done. We don't know how that is done. And God supplies the lamb, right? You know, he supplies the, he supplies the lamb. And that is his son, Jesus. And, and uh, so I, I, I saw all kinds of archetypal religious themes in this, as I often do in horror films. But, uh, you know, and, and plus, it was just a great flick. It was, a, it was an right. entertaining movie. Well, yeah, and you can even you know, you can just still still stay right with the Bible, because uh, when you think of the god Molech, this is an Old Testament Canaanite god. This is a god that, in order to get the benefits of the god, required sacrifices of children, human yep. children sacrifices. So we're not. This isn't just a fictional kind of, um, you know, two different kinds of sacrifices and one god and one false god and we see this right in the pages of scripture itself the other thing that i found to be fascinating and, I, and as soon as she hid the jug i i thought of this i thought of hebrews 9:27 it is appointed uh, for man to die at one time so the god is both the giver and the taker of life god appoints when life starts and he appoints when life ends. There's not a whole lot that Philip Mead and Scott Stagemeyer and anyone else can do about it. When right. God wants life to be taken, it's going to be taken. That power is given to the pit, which um, no one has that power except God. But isn't it interesting that she tries her best to make that appointed hour not be her appointed hour, but at the end of the film, it is her appointed hour. She, there's, no, there's no getting away from it. And I thought that was interesting in parallel with what the scriptures say. So there was this uh, professor that um, used to teach at one of the seminaries of the church body that I belong to. I'm a Lutheran pastor, and um, his name is Francis Rossow, and he used to teach courses on the gospel and literature and pop, you know, culture and that, things like that. And one of the observations that he made is that um, you will find echoes or hints of gospel truths or biblical truths throughout literature and film and throughout culture, even in world religions. You will find hints and echoes of the biblical truth, of Christian truth. And sometimes that's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. You know, you have you have a C.S. Lewis who's writing the Chronicles of Narnia, where he's trying to communicate uh, biblical teaching through the story and the narrative. But then you're going to have, I, you know, a movie like Jugface comes along, or or some of Stephen King's novels, for instance. You know, The Green Mile comes to mind, which has all sorts of biblical themes. Now he may be intentionally weaving those in, or he may just think he's. Uh, being a good storyteller, and that these are good motifs for telling a story, but 
You know, there's something about the gospel truth that is embedded in us that we can't get away from, and that you find it in literature, you find it in films, and you even find it in in pagan religions. And I don't mean to say that people can be saved by by pagan religions, but that, mm-hmm. that there there are hints, there are clues that you can find, and that, and C.S. Lewis makes the point in Mere Christianity that we would expect that to be the case if this is the truth. If this is real, if the gospel teaching is real, and and you know we of course believe it is. Yeah, yeah, and that connects a little bit with Romans one. It yeah, says right, that, right. Yeah, you know we all we all know, uh, but we've exchanged one thing for the next, and you know at at my church we're trying really hard to help our people view life, whatever that may look like: literature, entertainment, news jobs, family, to view every aspect of life through a gospel worldview. So how does the gospel of Jesus Christ impact this particular whatever that you're going through or that you're watching or that you're listening? It's particularly important for parents because as children are watching and reading and learning about so many things, many of which will be secular and enjoying various things, we need to be teaching our children to, you can enjoy this for what it is. But let's also process it through a gospel worldview. And so what does God's truth have to say about this particular form of entertainment that can help us think through it correctly? I think that's so important for Christians, and I think that's been lost a lot on the church. We kind of let the secular thing do the secular thing, and let's do the church thing over here. But the secular world is not absent from the truth of the goodness of of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think that's important for us to know. So when you come to a horror movie, one reason we love horror movies so much, I think me and you both would say, is because in the horror world, you find so many of these truth elements from the scriptures that are woven in. Like you say, of course, many, many times, if not most times, it's (laughs) unintentional (laughs) in horror movies. But, oh, goodness, it's there. It's classic good versus evil, which is what we see in in the scriptures. So, uh, yeah, with Ada, you know, try as she might um, to, the, the the pit had determined it was her time, and uh, obviously it's a spoiler alert, she, she meets her end uh, exactly in the way the pit wanted to, even though she tried to avoid that. So, in some ways, it's a really, really sad film. Yeah. Uh, you know, the baby dies, Ada dies, and this community is just going to continue you know, to give in to the the pit's wishes. Now, one thing about the movie, did you get the impression that if the community wanted, what if, what if the community came together and they said, man, we're through with this, you know, we don't want to keep sacrificing people, let's just all walk away. <laughs> would, would the pit have allowed them to do that? You know, I don't know. I, I got the impression that they would probably all die a violent death. If that, okay. <laughs> I got that impression because this pit doesn't seem to be – this creature of the pit doesn't seem to be ref, uh, confined to the pit. No. And uh, I don't know how far you have to get away to get out of its reach if that's even possible. But um, you know, it didn't seem to be shy about just butchering people if it wasn't getting what it wanted, and so I don't, I don't know. I, I got the impression that was not probably an option. But, you yeah. uh, <laughs> but you know what? They seem pretty happy with this system. It seems like the benefits outweigh the negatives until someone, you know, throws until a it's your face on the jug. Until it's yeah. your face on the jug. But, but what about this? Okay. <sighs> 
and maybe this is another. I mean, I mean, maybe this is another parallel with scripture to a certain degree because what you just said is absolutely right. In the film, the pit can choose whoever it wants to kill and can choose, kill them whenever he wants. Yeah, There's no. Yeah. It's not like the community has to bring someone to the pit. He just goes around killing people whenever he wants. So if he wants, I actually never thought about this until just now. If he wants Ada, that's who's on the jug face. Why doesn't he just go kill her? It's a good point. Maybe that's just an inconsistency in the film. Well, but you know, if it, it points to, I just preached Acts eleven, Acts ten and eleven. Acts ten is the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, which is a great story. And what God does here is He sends a vision to Cornelius that says, "Go get Peter," yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then God sends a vision to Peter that says, "You need to go to Cornelius." And then it's the great sheet, and there, you know, the animals and rise and kill and eat. You can eat the classic food. Classic right. Peter tells him no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Even after, you know, Pentecost, he's still telling God no. And and so but ultimately he, he goes. But what's interesting about that is I mean God's already got an angel right there at Cornelius. So all he had to do was tell the angel, explain the gospel to Cornelius so that he'll get saved yeah. because I've chosen him. But he doesn't do that. Right. Instead, he goes and gets a human yeah. to, to, to bring the gospel message to Cornelius the way he always does. You know, he's, he uses the human element to get his word out. So, it, it, you know, it could be kind of some – now, this is definitely not authorial intent, but it could be some kind of weird parallel here where, sure, the pit could easily have just taken Aiden. That's what he wanted. But by design – he wants to see the community bring Ada in terms of a sacrifice, and that's the only way that he will be satisfied by her particular death. So the way he gets that is to go kill everybody else until they realize that it's her time. That's the only def- that's the only explanation I have. Well, I think your explanation is probably much better, no. which is it's just an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I like what you said. I, I like that a lot because you know we're, we're dealing with these archetypal themes, right? These big these big themes and and maybe the author of this film the the guy who wrote the screenplay and the and the director didn't necessarily consciously think all this stuff out to the nth degree but but that there's there's something real in that you know i i believe god likes to use means he, you know yes god can just appear and speak to people directly and he can but he does tend to like to use human as agents you know he likes to use means to accomplish his purposes and yes. and 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 does things indirectly and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and in some way this demon of the pit um, is is a mirror but a, a warped version of the true god right interesting i get asked Every now and then, about the way we pray, so we pray for someone who has cancer. God, come down, heal, heal our loved one who has cancer, and then the cancer goes away. And so the the question I get asked sometimes, and I don't know how you would reply to this, but I sometimes get asked, "How did God do that? Did did He just zap the cancer in its?" It's miraculously gone? Or did God work in the person's body in such a way that certain things happened in the body that created the cancer to, to go away, to go in, in, in remission? 
So my response to that typically, and, and tell me how you would respond. The, the first response I'd say is, first of all, yes, it's miraculous. Whatever's happening, it's a miraculous healing on God's behalf. But I do believe that God, even in the healing process, is still healing by a certain kind of means. Now, I, I do think that God can do whatever he wants. There is no limitations on God. But I think in the human sphere, in the world that he's created right now, he does operate um, through specific means, what you were just discussing, so that when someone's healed, they're healed by God. It is a miracle. And yet, more often than not, doctors are able to see what happened in the body that caused that. Now, sometimes they're clueless, and they yeah. just, you know, we don't know we don't know how this happened. It just happened. But God knows how it happened, you know, and, and, and he's able to bring that. Would you agree with that, or how would you Oh, totally, to totally agree. I think that that is God's ordinary way of working. You know that yeah. you know his ordinary way of working. It might be through medicine. You know he's using the medicines. I, you know even if even if the doctors and nurses think, well, you know the science has has cured this person. Well, God, I still see God as the worker. You know the one who's working the healing, but he may be using the chemo to do it, um, and and the administrations of a doctor and and his staff. But um, I think God's ordinary way of working is through agents and instruments, but he can and sometimes has and does yes. work in an extraordinary way, you know, and directly. But um, it's when we start to demand of God, I think what we sometimes do is demand God to work in a direct way when he's working all along in his in His hidden way. And, or, or fail to see the miraculous in yep. the way he works through natural means. Yep. And, and so we're always looking for kind of the lightning bolt experience right. when that's not really how God typically typically works, you know. Yeah, I agree. What else can, <laughs> what else can we say about Chug Face here? I think we uh, I, I think that, we nailed I it. I think we got it, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Sure do. Yeah, I think that's it. The only thing we haven't discussed, I'll just say it very very quickly is there's there's kind of this little whatever, this little plot device running alongside the film about this shunned boy. Yeah. Who so what we learned is that the grandfather did this Hug a, hit a jug at one point. I think to save his wife. Is that what he? Why he did it? Or I forget. I, I actually I don't, don't recall what. It, it was to save someone bef- beside himself. Yeah. So it was. It wasn't quite like Ada, where she was. Well, you know, she was primarily to save her baby. So I guess it was similar. But I have to. I have to admit, the shunned boy was really. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. You know, what did he add to the film? I think that part could have been left off. I. I've, yeah. Because because he appears like an apparition, right? Right. And, and you know it, it it I don't think it added anything helpful. I think it could have been left off other than to simply I guess what it does is it shows that this is this occurred once before at least in this community. Yeah, I think that was somehow history repeats itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's what we have to say about Jug Face here at the com. It is a good movie. It's also a short movie. So you can watch it very quickly. I mean, I think it's only like an hour and 15 minutes or something you know it's 20 minutes maybe it's pretty short and um but it's good yeah we recommend it i give it a thumbs up and so does scott yeah so check it out when you can and let us know what you think okay we're going to i'm going to watch the next movie i'm going to watch scott is it follows i'm going to watch that this week because you're giving it a huge thumbs up yeah and I, and I trust your judgment so i'm going to check it out and maybe in a week's time we can come back together and talk about that film hey i would love that i I, i'd be very interested in your take on it 
I think it sounds good. Okay. I'm going to try to watch some more horror movies. I also have to watch at Halloween Horror Nights this year in Orlando, Florida at the Universal Orlando Resort, which me and my brother go to every year. We've been doing it since 2003. They're doing a lot more of intellectual property houses these last few years, and one of the haunted houses that's going to be there this year is Insidious. Oh. And it's going to be based off all of the films – not just the original. I saw the original in the theater, and I thought it was great. Yeah, but I didn't see. Is there three of them now, or two, two or three? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Are you talking Insidious or Sinister? Insidious. Insidious. Yeah. Um, that's the Scott Derrickson movie with Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I don't know. Is there? No, 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 no. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know if we're getting the movies mixed up here. Let me check. Yeah. No. Insidious definitely does not have Ethan Hawke. Let me Wikipedia it here. Okay, the, I'm thinking of the movie Sinister. That's what I'm getting confused. So Insidious, yeah, they, yeah, Insidious, I think there's three. Yeah, I think there's three. Three or four. Okay. Yeah, no, James Wan yeah. directed it. Yeah, I was, I, that was my bad. I was confusing a movie called Sinister, which is directed by Scott Derrickson, stars Ethan Hawke. And, but no, Insidious, yeah, that's that's totally different. That's an awesome film. Yeah, I, I, the first one was awesome. I think they haven't been as strong after that. They start to get, the mythology starts to get a little too complicated. But um, Have you seen the other two? I Well, the third one was just released. I've seen, year. I saw the second one. I have not seen the third one. I have I'm not seen I'm trying to remember if I've seen Sinister. Oh, if you haven't What's seen, this? it's worth seeing. I think I've seen it, but I can't remember. Well, Ethan Hawke plays like this author who moves into a house. This movie, okay, I will say this about Sinister. It's not the best horror film in the world, but the first 30 seconds of it are some of the most scary 30 seconds you'll ever see. Then I've not seen it because I would have remembered that. The first 30 seconds are chilling. And and the rest of the movie's good, but it has a strong start, in my at least in my opinion. It gave me goosebumps when I saw it in the theater. That reminds me of um, Scream. Oh, yeah. It has a great First start. time you see Scream, oh, you're yeah. just like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. That's awesome. So Insidious, yeah. So I saw the first one, which was really scary, I thought. Yeah, the, I did too. I saw it in the theater. But I've not seen two or three. So i got to watch two and three before you know, Halloween Horror Nights. So maybe you should w- watch them with me so we can talk about it. Absolutely. You, even if you didn't, you know. Yeah, because once they once they start going in the whacked out, trying to explain, that's when that's when they get into a problem, isn't it? When yeah. you try to start explaining the supernatural, then it, it never works. It never works. You just have to let the mystery be there. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that's so, what's you know. so freaky about Insidious is it's just got these images that are like, what the heck? You know, what was that yeah. about? And uh, you know, when it starts, you know, the guy singing tiptoe through the tulips, it's just such so unsettling. And when you try to give explanations to it, then it, it demystifies it. It does, absolutely does. Which is what I did not like about Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, uh, because uh, he, he he tries to explain Michael Myers. Right. Well, that's that's just you know, this that's is wrong. That's just that's wrong. <laughs> Hopefully he learned his lesson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. We're done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this is Philip. That's Scott over there. And uh, we'll see you next time here on Body Count. Stay scared. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.